glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifest to the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. And he talks in these verses, speaks of God's love being perfected in us. We'll get into verse 17, uh, God willing, next week, where he talks about our love being perfected. And, of course, the love of God is the love that we have. I don't believe it's capable. I don't believe we, as people, are capable of loving in and of ourselves. You have to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ to be capable of truly genuinely loving another and so we dealt with some of those things last week I just remind you of what we looked at by outline uh, last week in verses 7 and 8 we dealt with the essence of love uh, where the bible tells us in verse 8 he that loveth not knoweth not god for god is love we'll say it again anyone that has a definition of love that excludes god whatever they have is not love uh, if you want to know what love is, you must know who God is. And if you're going to know who God is, you must know Jesus Christ as your Savior. No man, men know things about God, but the only begotten Son of God, He's revealed God because He is in the bosom of the Father, the Bible says, meaning He and the Father are one. So what we know about God, we know through the person of Jesus Christ. And so God is the essence of love. Number two, we dealt with last week the expression of love. In verse 9, the Bible says, And this was manifested the love of God toward us. Spent some time dealing with the fact God did not manifest His love toward us by giving us all kinds of stuff we want. He manifests His love toward us by giving us what we ultimately need. I believe this with all my heart. You can die a diseased pauper, but if you have eternal life, that's okay. You can, you, that's what Lazarus was in Luke chapter 16. He was a diseased pauper. He had misery in this life. He laid full of sores at a rich man's gate, and the rich man cared so little he knew his name but never gave him anything. The law, the dogs licked Lazarus's sores, but the Bible says Lazarus died and was taken into Abraham's bosom by the angels, and the rich man died and was in hell. What I'm trying to say to you tonight is if you and I don't have much in this life, and this life is miserable, but we have eternal life, then we know the love of God. Amen? And we get our, we get our thinking skewed. We sometimes think like three-year-olds. I know God loves me because he gives me what I want. <laughs> I was asked today in my visit to the hospital, how do you love somebody you don't like? I said, it's a wonderful question. I'm glad you asked it. 
that's uh, a favorite subject. It's not the same to love somebody as alike. And we talked about that last week. But the expression of God's love is that He gave Christ to die for us. Uh, I, one of the things that really stirs my ire is people today saying, well, if God is so good, why is there so much evil in the world? I'm going to learn to say, well, if man is so good, why is there so much evil in the world? We keep being told by the humanist that man is good. He's got a little light burning inside of him. Well, if that's the truth, we should have repaired ourselves by now. Some would say, if God loves us, why don't we see it? i got news for you. We do if we want to see it. God proved his love for us when he came down to us, gave his life for us in the person of Christ, and died for us. And as we said last week, he has to do nothing more for man to show he loves us. Because what he did is enough to, to secure our eternity in heaven with him. I got news for you. We're in heaven in eternity. As the song earlier said tonight, we're not going to care about the things that took place here that were bad. The, the, the glory that shall be revealed will so overshadow the afflictions of this life and we must take that by faith. I'm trying to say this. When God decided repeatedly, he says that the manifestation or the demonstration of his love is Calvary's cross. If you want to know about the love of God, you must look to the cross of Calvary. That's what God did uh, to demonstrate his love and commend it to us. And so the initiation of love, God loved us first. The integrity of his love, he didn't just say loves us, he proved it by giving himself for us. And then this instigates in us a desire to love him in return. And we dealt with all those things last week. We love him because he first loved us, as verse 19 says. No man starts off his life loving God. We are loved by God. And when we realize that, that's what stirs a love in our heart for him in return. It's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I reference these verses quite often uh, because there's no greater motivator for a faithful Christian life than what you find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 14 and 15, where Paul says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. I read uh, some lady today, some woman had made the, some kind of a statement that most pastors are putting people in chains today. What she meant by that, somebody made a, had referenced a quote by Leonard Ravenhill. A lot of people don't like Leonard Ravenhill because they're carnal people. If you're carnal, you don't like Leonard Ravenhill. But anyway, uh, he said something along the lines of someone that says, goes to church and sings, uh, Nearer my God to thee, and then goes sits with the blasphemers and the bleachers should probably not be taken seriously. Well, this individual took exception to that quote and said, You know, uh, what about Jesus dining with sinners? Well, they were repentant sinners. And so anyway, the point would be uh, that that attitude that, uh, you know, the, the, any kind of separation is chains of bondage. I got news for you. When the love of Christ gets a hold of you, when God's love com- compels your heart, you, you are willing to forego all sorts of things just to serve Him. The love of Christ constraineth us, for we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Uh, verse 15, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Meaning, we owe our lives to him. He died for us. If in the reality, it's not just something to motivate good behavior. The reality is you and I will spend eternity in hell if it weren't for Jesus Christ. That's, that's the reality. He literally laid down his life in our place 
so that we can be shielded and delivered from the wrath of God. And friend, we need to meditate on that. If you're saved tonight and you are not tender-hearted towards your Savior, you need to meditate on that fact and truth. Get on your face before God and say, Don't let me alone until the love of Christ gets a hold of me. I got news for you. Some fear of consequence for wrongdoing will not constrain you to serve God. You can always reason your way around it. I'll be the exception to the rule. But the love of Christ, the love of Christ will lay hold of you like shackles do to where you say, I cannot get, how can I with good conscience do anything but serve Jesus Christ? Once you truly realize what He's done for you, once the Spirit of God spreads that love of God in your heart, it's like a rope that won't let you go. And Jesus Christ did not lasso you against your will. It's, it, it is, I got news for you. Love is a far stronger bond than fear. Is it not? Genuine love. It's the love of Christ that constrains us tonight. I want to please the Lord, but not. I have a fear of getting away from God because I know God's ways are right. And so there's a fear of God that's the beginning of wisdom. But it is love that will hold you close to Him. It is love that will allow you to, to lose things that you might have had in order to obey Him. And that's what I believe is being outlined in 1 John chapter 4, is that we love Him because He first loved us. And how true that is. He loved us when we didn't even care about Him. When we were still His enemies and His sinners, He died for us. And so the essence of love... Uh, is it originates with God, and uh, it, it is the mark of God's children. The absence of love reveals a lack of relationship with God. The expression of love, God initiated it. God, He demonstrated, and His love has integrity in the person of Jesus Christ dying for us. Then we get into verses 11 and 12 tonight, and that is the extension of love. So God is love, and God manifested His love toward us in sending Christ to die for us. But Christ died for us and He's in heaven now. So how do people know that God is loved today? That's us. That's us. By this, Jesus said in John 13, shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one for another. Um, may I say this in, in a, and I have no doubt about what I'm, what I'm, uh, and this is not, this is not true of every church in America, but the general condition of churches in America is carnal. I mean, I'm talking about people. A church is a, an, uh, an assembly of born-again, baptized believers, right? That's, that's what a true church is. So if it's some get-together that's inside of a building that looks like what's called a church building, but the people inside aren't saved, that's not really a church. That's, that is a gathering of some sort. That's a crowd, a religious crowd. But I'm talking about true churches. Even so, the character has become so carnal. Carnality is not fueled by love. The Bible says only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. And so carnality, one of the marks of carnality is contention, strife, division, discord. We hear, I, I got news for you. If, you, if you just put your finger, just put your finger inside of social media just a little bit and hear some of the animosity in people that claim to be God's people against God's people over things that make people feel guilty. And look, I want to say this. If somebody else is doing something and it makes you feel guilty, then I'm sorry. Maybe you are. Maybe you're guilty. And if you're not, it shouldn't bug you. Amen? 
I really believe what's going on a lot in our world today is we're so self-centered by nature and we spiritualize our carnality. We spiritualize our selfishness. Selfishness and love are, are incompatible. And so here's what I'm saying. We have to, we dealt with it last week. There has to be a decision to obey God concerning loving God's people. It's a decision of faith. I am going to value my brethren and the family of God. And once you've made that decision, it'll help you make a lot of other decisions. I'm not going to treat people like a disposable... How I many you know this with appliances today? When your microwave dies, throw it in the trash. Don't try to fix that thing. You'll spend more money fixing it than you will buying another one. When your refrigerator dies, throw it away and get you another one. We often deal with people like that. You got too difficult for me, so I'm done. I'll find somebody else to replace you. That happens in marriages. It happens in homes. It happens in churches. It happens in workplace. Where it's like, you know what? Fine. That's, you just go along your merry way. And I understand. You and I can't make people stay around and be loved. I get that. But I don't believe if we really understood the instruction of 1 John chapter 4, I don't think we would have so many uh, splinters of splinters of splinters of churches. That does not happen through people caring for one another. Now, I'm not talking about building megachurches either. I don't think that's God's plan either necessarily. He never let one megachurch stay that way. Church of Jerusalem got mega, and he didn't keep it that way very long, did he? He divided them up so they'd go do what they were told to do, and that's go into all the world and preach the gospel. So where are you going with this? What I'm trying to say is that God's love, nobody sees God. That's what he's saying. No man has seen God at any time. But God is love and the manifestation and demonstration of who God is is through us loving Him by loving each other. That's how people see the character of God. Look at verse 11. Beloved, He's going to give them uh, a call to reason. He said, let me reason with you. He said, Beloved, if God so loved us, that's the same phrase as John 3.16, for God so loved, He didn't just love, He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, by the way, whosoever still means whosoever, believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So John references the fact that God manifests His love toward us by giving His Son to die for us. And then He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. If we have received so much love, should we not give it? Did not the Lord Jesus say, uh, as you've received, freely you've received, freely give. Uh, I've been asked recently, and by the way, forgiving people who have sinned against you is a very difficult thing because something in you has to die. It's, it's easy to nurse uh, bitterness. And by the way, while we're just talking about some generalities, I believe there's more bitterness in our world than we realize. I believe many, many of the perpetuating sins in our culture today are rooted in bitterness. Meaning, I got treated in a way that I should have never been treated in. And that may be true. That may be true. We might have the idea that all bitterness is unfounded. Many times people that are bitter have truly and genuinely been deeply wounded by somebody else. But may I say this? I think it's almost inevitable to get bitter at a person without getting bitter at God. Here's what happens. We deal with forgiveness. I began to say that. Someone asked me, well, how do I forgive? And the idea was, but this person who should have taken care of me did not. This person that should have loved me did not. This person that should have taught me about God 
did not. It was a child toward a parent. I, they didn't do this. And I asked, I said, do you feel bitter? And the individual said, I, I, yes, I do. I said, do you think your bitterness is justified? And they said, I do. I said, that's the danger of bitterness. We do feel it's justified. Now, I said, if anybody had a right to be bitter, Jesus Christ does. He never harmed or sinned against any human being in his life. And yet, what did we do to him? Jew and Gentile alike crucified him. We had no room for someone like him, meaning the world had no room for the perfect human. But no, he came among us. He makes us all look bad and kill him. He's a light. He is a light that shows us that we're not what we're supposed to be. And so the best thing to do, instead of admitting we're sinners who are who helpless and hopeless without him, let's just snuff the light out instead of believing what the light reveals. That's what John 3 is all about. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so the idea would be this. When it comes to loving one another, when it comes to forgiving one another, how in the world do you forgive someone who's truly, deeply harmed you? Just think about what God has forgiven you. I want us to think for a moment before we press forward tonight. I want you to remember, not for the sake of guilt, not for the sake of shame, but for the sake of loving God and appreciating what He's done. I want you to to name in your own conscience some of the things you have done against God. Now maybe you're here and you've never done anything intentionally against God's will. Wait a minute, that's not possible. I understand we are all sinners by nature. But I also know that there's not a person in this room that has not at least at one time in their life known exactly what was right to do because their creator put it in their conscience and willingly and purposely chose to do the opposite and then hide it like as if we never did it. Am I telling the truth? Now, how many times have you done that? And what did God do to you to deserve such treatment? What did God ever do to me that I should say, I don't care if you told me not to lie, I'm going to anyway. I don't care what you want from my life. What exactly has God done to me for me to care so little about what He wants? Because I got news for you, until Calvary's cross gets a hold of you, you don't care one iota about what God wants. The only way we'll ever say that is if there's some selfish motivation behind it. Say, Pastor, you're pretty pessimistic about humanity. You better believe I am. First of all, I'm a human. Second of all, humans are my business. I am not real high on humanity. We need a Savior. I'm not big on humanity. We're rotten right on down to the core without God. Amen. That's good preaching. (laughs) It's right. So then why should God love us? Not a speck of good in us. He loved us, gave His Son to die for us, and we ignore the gospel. We act like it's a myth and a fairy tale when God gave His very best, yet He forgave us when we finally trusted Him. And we have offended Him. We have blatantly ignored what He had to say, blatantly done what He said not to. So I'm going to tell you, if you're going to forgive somebody else, all you need to do is think about how God has forgiven you. If you can say, I don't think I'm that bad, then friend, you got some knowledge to gain. <laughs> Amen? The fact of the matter is, is every one of us, we've gone our own way. All we, all we, Isaiah the prophet, including himself, said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And if we could just sit back and say, why? Why? I'm going to tell you something, and I understand Satan is involved here. 
Satan stirs and promotes animosity between us and God. He gets us to feel like God is a mean old ogre in the skies. It's a control freak and wants to make me miserable. The fact that we believe that lie is another indictment on us. True? And yet, how many offenses? Let's, let's start naming and counting. How many offenses in this room do you think got forgiven when we got saved? Collectively among us. Do you think better than a million? Look at what a small crowd this is. David says his iniquities were more than the very hairs of his head. Now get all of this. And David was called by God a man after his own heart. So if the man after God's own heart said, my sins are more than I can count, then how many sins did God forgive? I'm just trying to say tonight, if God so loved us, shouldn't we return that to somebody else? Let me ask you something. When did God love you? After you started being a nice person? You know, there's, there's many of us in this room raising Christian homes, and I know we've all been angels at every moment of our lives. Ha! I can assure you, being born in a Christian home sometimes only makes you the more skillful and being able to look like an angel when you're actually a devil. How do you know that? I was raised in a Christian home. I know what I'm talking about. You say, well, what's your point here tonight? My point is this. When did God love me? Before I was born, He loved me. After I was born, He loved me. After I sinned against Him the first time on purpose, He still loved me. When did God stop loving me? He didn't. I'm going to tell you something. If you can ever, by the grace of God, love someone who's unlovely, it'll bring a peace in your soul that you've never known. God will talk about that. Perfect love casteth out all fear. Why? Because you're no longer working at preserving self. You're working at giving self. So if somebody takes something from you, that's your agenda already anyway. You're going to give it anyway. Jesus said, no man taketh my life from me, I lay it down. Well, i got news for you. If you've already decided you'll lay down your life for the benefit of the brethren and somebody takes advantage of you, no loss. Somebody said they threatened to take Paul's position in this community. He said, I've already lost it for Christ. They threatened to take his health. He said, I've already given that up for Christ. Then they threatened to take his life. He said, for him, he lives right Christ and the dies gain. And how could you scare Paul? He laid it all down because he knew how God had loved him. Can you imagine being God? You know, I'm going to tell you something. If I were God and that Saul of Tarsus was doing to my church what he was doing to my church, I would have used my lightning powers and taken him out. Right? So would we all. I'm just glad I'm not God, and I'm glad you're not God. And what God says, no, I'm going to save you. I'm going to take my enemy, and I'm going to win him through forgiveness and show how great my grace is by saving that persecutor of my people. Here's what I'm trying to say tonight. If God so loved us, some people say, well, you don't know how so-and-so's treated me. No, but I know how we've all treated Christ. Amen. So if he so loved us, we ought to also love one another. He calls them to reason. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Verse 12, no man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. What he's saying is, no man's seen God, but the presence of God is demonstrated through our love for one another. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, so on and so forth. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. I've pondered on that phrase. And pondered on that phrase. It doesn't say our love is perfected in us. It will say that later. It says his love is perfected in us. How many ever read that God's strength is made perfect in weakness? 
How do you perfect the strength of God? The idea of perfect there carries, if I understand correctly, completion. Completion of a cycle. Meaning the end game of God's love is when it's manifest through our lives. It is perfected. God's love is demonstrated in its fullness. You know what I think he's trying to say here? And I just said, I think, this is the way I understand this. If one man can learn to love another man, you know a miracle has taken place. And that the love of God has broken through sinful nature. Because when we can love each other like we've been loved, that has to be God. It has to be. And so then that's why Jesus Christ commands us as husbands to love our wives as Christ also loved the church. Do you ever notice there he doesn't say, husbands, love your wives as long as they submit to you as Christ also loves the church. Is that what he says? And you wives obey your husbands as long as they love you. No, we have our separate commandments and they are to be obeyed. Why? He's speaking of Christ and the church in that relationship. He wants us to... We are the living demonstrations of who God is. And if God is love, then we have to love one another for people to see God. The Bible says we are epistles written of God, read of men. How many know that most of the world doesn't pick up their Bible to read it? They own one, but most, most people in the world don't read their Bibles. So they've got to read us. So here's the thing. If I'm always miffed, frustrated, and irritated by how someone else's life is making mine difficult, I'm not really demonstrating who God is, am I? I'm really not. Do you know where fussing, arguing, disputing, and debating comes from? Selfishness. Selfishness. When I was talking to a fellow today, and he said, what about like and love? So I think this. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think this. I like you when you bring some benefit into my life. So, for instance, if every time I see you, you're taking me out for a milkshake, I'm going to learn to like you. Right? Or your personality is cheerful to be around. Well, then I'm going to like you because you bring a benefit into my life. What happens is people don't bring benefits in our lives and we have no feeling of affection toward them because they're nothing but a difficulty to us and we say, I just don't love them. That has nothing to do with loving them. It has nothing to do with loving them. Loving them says they're still valuable because God... If they, look, if a person was valuable enough for Jesus Christ to shed his blood for, should, what gave them that value? The very fact that they were created, period. That's why he says, for God so loved the world. And that is why I am to have a high esteem for the value of another human being, whether in the womb or whether 90 years old, because God loves them. How do you know he loves them? He died for them. Every last one. And whether I like them or they are likable has absolutely nothing to do with loving them. And so we're called to reason. We are, uh, have a constraint to reproduce that love because this is how God is, his love is demonstrating who he is. By the way, how appreciative is the world for God's love for them? How many men are walking down the street and I say, I just cannot believe God sent his son to die for me. I still just can't believe God sent his son to die for me. How many people in Bonner's Ferry do you think know that Jesus died for them? 99.99%. Because we've been on most of their doorsteps telling them so. Amen? 
What we can say is our community has heard the gospel. It's on the radio. It's, it's going house to house. It's going from your hand to the cashier. I mean, most people here know that Jesus died for them. And what is the general response to that? Big whoop to do. I got things to do. So don't expect this. The Bible says, if the world hates Jesus, if they hated me, they hate you. Don't expect your love to be appreciated. And I understand we're talking about loving one another, but even among brethren, our love for one another doesn't have to be appreciated for us to obey that. We are to determine, I'm going to love God's family members because this is how God makes himself known. And so, uh, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Verse 12, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another... God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Again, I believe that's what, you know what the fruit is? Fruit is the perfection of the life cycle in a tree. It's the end game, right? You get the root, then you get the shoots, you get the limbs and the branches, and then when is that thing perfected? When the fruit is on the branch. You know what love is in our life? It's fruit. It is the fruit or the product of the presence of God in our lives. I promise you this. You cannot walk in fellowship with the Spirit of God without Him working constantly to teach you to change your attitude toward people. Amen? Some think this. Loving people is just this personality thing. How many of you know there are introverts, there are extroverts, there are people that, that are people, people? I promise you, I love people. But I'm not a people person. I'm happy to be on the backside of a hundred acres somewhere chasing an animal. By myself, right? But I love being in church on a Thursday night with you. You know why? Because God says so. And God can teach. I don't care what the personality is. Those are all excuses. You know that, right? We use our personality as excuses for disobedience. God didn't say love one another if you're a people person. Now, in fact, sometimes people persons don't really love people. They just... They like crowds and they like the interaction, like social activity. And they got to be taught to love people just like you and I do. All right, so there's a call to reason. There's a call, a constraint to reproduce. And then there's a conclusive recognition here in verse 12. It says, no man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Love is evidence of the presence of God in our lives. We're talking about Bible love. Amen. The essence of love, the expression, the extension. Number four, verses 13 through 16, the evidence. And by this, what I mean is, we just said love in the life is, is evidence of the presence of God, but he's going to expound on that in these verses, verse 13. Hereby, what's it say next? Know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. Turn with this verse in mind to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I believe one of the marks that you're a child of God is that you cannot ever even if you try, and you may be able to close your mind off to it, but you're not going to be able to escape the love of God that he showed you through Jesus Christ. If you have ever been truly convinced that what Jesus did on the cross is truth and that it was for you and you've come to faith in that, how can you ever ignore How can you get to the place in your life where that has absolutely no place in your thoughts whatsoever? I believe there are seasons, but ultimately... Ultimately, God's going to bring you back and say, do you remember what I did for you? Do you remember what I did for you? I'm telling you, it's what, as a child of God, under God's chastisement, it is what broke my will, is saying, now you remember, you put your trust in me to save you. Yes. So according to my word, not according to the way you feel, not according to the way you think or, or emotion, 
According to my word, are you my child or not? I am. Are you behaving as you should? I'm not. I loved you enough to die for you, and I loved you enough to keep my word and not throw you out of my family. Do you deserve being my family? I do not. Then why are you? Because you are good to me. Now, friend, I'm telling you, I, I wish I, maybe I need to preach this every week for the next 52 weeks because it's the goodness of God leads us to repentance. There'll be, no, there'll be no call too high, no service too low if it comes from the mouth of Jesus Christ once you realize and recognize how great he's been to us. And when that love is in our heart, it confirms our position in Christ because here's what Romans 5 says. Romans 5 tells us of being justified in verse 1, says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. That's our position. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We live in hope of being in heaven someday, having a glorified body someday. Verse 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope, And hope maketh not ashamed because, here it is, verse 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Meaning this, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in your life, He's going to walk you through experiences that allow Him to demonstrate and shed abroad the love of God in your heart. And that's what 1 John is saying over here, chapter 4, that the, the, that the presence of love is a confirming thing because it evidences the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. He says again, verse 13, Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, that's our position, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. Remember, He's the Spirit that sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. Then verse 14, And we have seen... And do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He's taking us back to the evidence of God's love. Verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Now, wait a minute. I thought he just said that uh, we, we have his Spirit dwelling in us and we're in him because we love one another. Which is it? Is it the confession of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior that, uh, that gives you the indwelling presence of God and your position in Christ? Or is it love? The answer is yes, meaning anybody that has a definition of love outside of what is defined through Calvary's cross does not have God in them, and they're not in God. Meaning if there's a redefinition of love, I think it's what John's trying to do here, if there's a redefinition of love, then you say, I love, I love God, and I love people, but I reject Jesus Christ. I had a woman tell me that one time. She said, oh... I don't want to see anybody hurt. I mean, she flat out rejected Christ, hated the guts of the Apostle Paul. And she said, I really believe, had I been at Calvary, I would have wept and said, no, don't do that to him. Well, she's claiming it, but she said, but I don't believe he's the Savior. No, you don't love. You're a liar. That's what John's going to say. If you don't confess Christ, God's not in If you confess Christ, he is in you and you're in God. And there's a there is a there is a connection between... Love being in the life is an evidence of the presence of God. But that love must be coupled with a confession of Jesus Christ for who he is. Again, verse 15, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Then in verse 16, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. That's the connection there to confessing Jesus as the Son of God. We have known 
and believe the love that God has to us. Here's the thing. There are those that have rejected the love of Calvary's cross because here's what Calvary does. Calvary says, without Jesus Christ, you are not acceptable to God. And there are certain people that cannot imagine a love that would not simply affirm or multiple preachers this week, listen, different preachers. One was a session where they're talking and kind of giving some counsel, and the other was just a message preached. It's very interesting. They were all four preachers that I listened to were discussing the subject of counseling people as a pastor. And they all said the same thing. Said counseling normally doesn't work. Because most people that come to seek counseling are looking to be affirmed in the decisions they've already been made, they've already made, and therefore counseling generally doesn't work unless you just go ahead and affirm, yes, one of the messages I heard was on Ahab and how he sent for Micaiah and said, you know, I don't like him, I hate the man because he always prophesies evil concerning me, but go ahead and bring him in. Micaiah comes and says, you'll die in battle. And Ahab says, I'm going to battle anyway. And I'm going to outsmart God. And he puts on armor and he disguises himself. And he flat out rejected the council, as did his counterpart, Joshua, the king of Judah, who went ahead and went to battle knowing it was going to end the defeat and went anyway. That's often the behavior of people. Here's, here's my point. There are those who don't like the counsel of God concerning salvation. They have to acknowledge, had Jesus not died, God is unwilling to affirm me for who I am. This is supposedly Pride Month, right? You know why it's called Pride Month? Because people are saying, you know what? This is who we are. And though it's something that God says he's against, the God we have would never do anything but affirm us in who we are. And that, what do they say? They say it's love. That crowd preaches something they call love all the time that's nothing more than hatred. I can prove it to you. Simply try to disagree with them and reason with them. The average one is going to, the, the, there's no love there. <laughs> now, I believe that's what John's dealing with. The Gnostics were coming in redefining things, deceiving about who God is and what love is. And what John is saying is, we have known and believed the love that God hath to us, and that love is in His Son dying in our place. Anything outside of that definition of love is not of God. So then he says, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. And so... The evidence of loving one another, it confirms our position. It, it, it reveals the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in our life, as we saw in the last point as well. And then it is a consistency in our profession, meaning the, the genuineness of our love is nothing more than a mirror of Calvary's cross. That's what happens. We, we reproduce in our lives at a smaller scale what Christ did on the cross And our lives should be. People should hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, I've seen that somewhere. I've seen that. I've seen people who are willing to to give of themselves, lose their lives. You You know what true missionaries are? They're just reproduced. They are reproductions of Jesus Christ. I mean, I mean, you think tonight that it was a lifelong dream for the King family to go take it easy and live in Mexico. I have news for you. The last few weeks have not been easy for them. I got news for you. The next couple of years is not going to be easy for them. And the next couple after that is not going to be easy for them. You know why? They're engaged in a battle for the souls of men. Then why in the world do they go there and drag their six kids off down there? Because they love God. Yes. Why would you do that? People down there need to hear the gospel. And God says, how should they hear without a preacher? 
You know what a missionary is? A missionary says, I'm going to lay down the life I could have had for the life he wants me to have. And I don't know of a genuine missionary that would trade it for anything in the world. Amen? Chris and I were talking this week, when you get involved in Bible translation, man, you get a bullseye on you, I promise you. I received an email this week from Brother Lewis Turk, who's working on the Indonesian Bible. He's finished the New Testament. Brother Hurley, his proofreading has nine more books to go, I think, to finish the proofreading of the New Testament. They've printed John and Romans. Do you know what a year Brother Turk has had this year? His wife has had COVID and nearly died. He got very sick. Their computer systems crashed. They had to reset all their emails. They've had one trouble right after another, and I barely know the man. Why? So that people can have the Word of God pure in their tongue. You know what it'll do? It'll probably cut their lives short. The Bible says of Epaphroditus that he was sick and nigh unto the death for the ministry to the saints. I know people whose, whose lives are snuffed out probably sooner than they would have had to been because they burned themselves out serving God in the local New Testament church. I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to burn your candle out, I know no better place to do it than serving God's people. Amen? My point tonight is this. God's point to us is this. God is, but the evidence of the presence of God and the Spirit of God in our life to a lost and dying world and to one another is the love that we show one for another. You know, I'd say this. If a person can lightly dust off their church family and their brethren and move on and say, eh, oh well, something's wrong there. You've seen as much as I have. Somebody's around, next thing you know, poof, uh, what happened? No job, career, sports, what have you. What would cure a lot of that is if we just love each other. Amen? As God told us to. 